Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Welcome back to the podcast. We're finally coming to our last translation in this series. We're not quite done with the series. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But talking about the last specific translation we're going to evaluate, dig into. This this one this week, it's another dynamic equivalent. It's the New Living Translation. I first heard this, I think, a few several years back on the radio. One of the Christian radio stations that I listened to. Uh, it had these different verse of the day, you could say, uh, type segments. And they used the New Living Translation of Scripture. And I... I heard it, and I did, didn't pay much attention to it at the time. But over the past few months, I've been reminded of it, been checking it out a little bit, not a whole lot, not as much as some other translations, but referencing it at times. And then as I was digging into preparing for this episode, doing some more research, uh, I was surprised by a lot of things that I found. So I'm looking forward to getting into that and discussing some more details about what this translation is. So the NLT, the New Living Translation, is actually an update of a former translation, the Living Bible. Um, and it is the new the NLT. It came out in 1996, and it's published by Tyndall House. And this is uh, in the introduction to the NLT. This is what they, the, the, the Tyndall House wrote and the, the team wrote uh, about the NLT. <clears throat> it says the challenge for the translators was to uh, create a text that would make the same impact in the life of modern readers that the original text had for the original for the original readers in the new living uh, in the new Le- new living translation this is accomplished by translate by translating entire <clears throat> thoughts rather than just words into natural everyday natural everyday english the end result is a translation that is easy to read and understand and that accurately communicates the meaning of the of accurately communicates the meaning of the original text and again that's from the nlt tra- uh, introduction that's linked there in the show notes what I want to highlight in there is they're talking about meaning is being focused upon the thoughts, the flow of thoughts, uh, the meaning of what was the author trying to communicate, not just what is the meaning of this specific word. The words are important. As we talked about in a previous episode, how both Jesus and Paul put put stress on particular parts of individual words. But while that is important, we also need to make sure that we are keeping the meaning of the text in general. What does it mean? How does it impact the impact our lives that needs to be also looked to and that's what the nlt tries to do especially is to focus upon that and it talked about being the, the translation being readable there and they try to help do that to break down maybe some of the, the barriers to understanding some other translations for modern readers they talk about this how they uh, use modern weights and measurements in the introduction, they say how they put footnotes in there to show what the, the Hebrew and the Jewish equivalents are. They also do this with dates. They say that they will translate some dates as terms of a time of year, or if it can be more accurately understood about this specific date, they'll use a, a modern 
date dating system with the footnote about how what the text actually says trying to help us understand and evaluate uh, not evaluate but understand the text and apply it to our own lives and, and engage with the text they do have gender neutral language in there for brothers and translating that as brothers and sisters uh, sometimes using the uh, gender neutral uh, plural pronouns for men but they are adamant in the introduction that they do not do this to to god they continue to use masculine pronouns when referring to god especially using terms like father these things too because there is theological significance to that which they identify clearly in the introduction uh, i was really surprised by a few things that i read there in the introduction so if this is a translation that uh, sparks your interest, I'd encourage you to go read it and to check that out. Again, it's in the show notes there. But do want to highlight especially about the, the issue of masculine pronouns for God, especially since we talked about the NIV last week with that one specific version, today's NIV, and how that, that blurred those lines and the backlash that came from that. The NLT does not do that. Just wanted to, just wanted to make that clear. And another aspect that, of readability that I want to talk about, which I was again surprised at, but uh, was drawn to in a way, was how they translate some terms or phrases in Scripture that maybe we've heard or maybe we'll say in church or our personal devotions, but we may not fully grasp or understand what does this actually mean. For an example, the term "firstborn" when applied to Christ. Such as, in such as in Colossians 1.15, the 95 edition of the New American Standard says, And he, referring to Christ, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Other translations render it similarly. And the word firstborn there, that's what that Greek word means. It means firstborn. However, when we hear that term in our to our modern ears, it makes it think that Christ was the first one of creation as if he was the first one created. And there are some heresies and cults out there that, that teach that. But that is not what Paul was meaning in that passage. The firstborn there referring to the right of the firstborn, or the inheritance and the, the, the focus there of that passage in Colossians in verse 15 and verse 18 as well, and a few other places, is on Christ's preeminence, that he is the preeminent one. And the NLT tries to bring that out. They translate the word firstborn in a few places as sovereign, as a supreme over. So that phrase there in Colossians 1.15, which the New American Standard translates as, and he is the firstborn of all creation. The NLT translates that, and he was before anything created and is supreme over all creation. I may have a few of the smaller words wrong there, but that's what the, the tech, that's what that phrase says. And that, that that brings out the theological implications of what that term means. It clarifies that he was before anything was created, that he that he himself is not created, that he is pre-existent, but yet he is supreme over. He is the preeminent one. And they, they do a, a similar thing with supreme over there in, in verse 18 of Colossians 1. And <clears throat> so that they bring out what that term actually means theologically. And that can be helpful. Uh, another term that is used there uh, is used in scripture is the propitiation such as in 1st John 2:2 2, 2. again the new american standard rendering and he is the propitiation for our sins 
we use that word, especially in conservative circles, but it can be a hard concept to grasp sometimes. Maybe it's a phrase that we use and toss around, but don't, don't quite understand or grasp what does that mean. And it, it means the satisfaction of God's righteous wrath against sin. So the NLT uh, translates that <clears throat> as the, that he is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. It, so it's not translating the, the word specifically in terms of the uh, single word-to-word -word correspondence, but it translates that theological meaning of that word so we grasp and understand it and so we can understand more of what Christ has done and how he impacts our life. They're not trying to be to undermine anything. And I've looked at uh, several passages here. They're not trying to slip in theological compromise or water down scripture. They are accurately translating what these terms mean, but in a way that is easier for us to understand. So we don't just mouth off particular words without grasping their meaning or their impact, but helping us to engage and to understand the text. They don't do this for all passages. They don't. Some, there are some difficult passages that are hard to understand and grasp, and they don't try to always interpret it. Such as in John six, when Jesus said that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Drink my blood. Um, it's still translated that way in the New Living Translation. So they didn't. They didn't try to tell you, hey, this is what it means per se. Because that would. It's hard to to do that in a translation. It, those are the words that Jesus spoke. So uh, they do have a commitment to, to the words of Scripture. Just some of those terms, uh, the passages I looked at were in the epistles, of translating them so that we can understand and grasp, this is the impact. This is the understanding you should have by this word so that we can, as I said, understand the text and apply it to our life. And this goes back to one of the themes that has become clear to me, that became clear to me as I was going through this series of, the, of these podcasts, that God has given us a message. He's communicated to us a message in order that we might know him. Uh, using J.I. Packer's point there in his book, Knowing God, not just knowing mere facts about God, but entering into a relationship where we truly know God. And uh, we should try to remove barriers and things that, that hinder that, that may seem to be pious or or, um, or, or uh, elevated to our mind, but can actually be a barrier to us truly knowing God. And the NLT tries to do that with how they interpret some of these words and bring that into their translation. And one of the, I think one of the reasons they do this uh, so soundly from the examples I looked at was a result of the translation team that they had who were involved, the, tra the scholars who were involved with this work. A few of the names that, st the names that stood out to me were Daryl Bach, F.F. Bruce, who was the special reviewer for the translation. And by the way, F.F. Bruce's book, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? Excellent book. It's not overly long, but if you want to check out to see how do we know that the text that we have today of Scripture, is it, tr is it accurate? Can we have faith that this really is uh, the, the text that God wanted us to have and the importance of having the text uh, translated into the vernacular of the people? It's an excellent book. Um, so Daryl Bach, F.F. Bruce. You also have Craig Blomberg, D.A. Carson, uh, Trimper Logman III, um, <clears throat> Robert Mounts, uh, Douglas Moo. Raymond Ortland, uh, Ray Ortland Jr., Raymond Ortland Jr., uh, Tom Thomas Schreiner, and Willem Van Jimmeren. 
Chirper uh, Logman Three. I don't know a whole lot about him. I uh, just know a lot of reading I've been doing for seminary. Uh, his name has been cited quite a lot, so I threw that in there, but I couldn't tell you a whole lot about him. But just a name I recognized. But the the other ones, I have uh, either read stuff directly by them or know their names really respected, uh, especially like Robert Mounts. I haven't read anything directly by him, but extremely respected uh, New Testament Greek scholar example there the the denominations the denominations that are represented are represented are represented in that list there that i saw were presbyterian uh, southern baptists um maybe some more baptists and just in general uh methodist uh, assemblies of god i believe as well as mennonite and there were others but several good denominations that, that we can look to and again we, we don't have our faith in these men but we recognize that their faithful service, uh, their commitment to Scripture, and how that has guided their work. And from the passages that I've looked at with the New Living Translation, it, they do seem to be faithful to the text of Scripture. Not changing it or distorting it, but trying to render it in a way that is readable and understandable for our readers today. So this is a, a good translation. It's something that we can use to, to help Let's make sure that we're not obscuring or losing the meaning or the point of the text. And sometimes we can get so used to the, a particular more formal translation that we've read for all our lives or for several years, uh, whether it be the King James, the ESV, or the NASB. And we, we hear these terms, or these renderings, and we just we gloss over them without really thinking, what does this actually mean? And the New Living Translation does an excellent job uh, with that. And maybe a little more dynamic than the NIV at times in terms of some of the interpretation that is done. It's not theologically liberal, but tried to explain it a little bit more. Uh, the NLT also doesn't have the uh, stigma that the NIV did have with that uh, today's NIV. So the, the, NLT, the, the New Living Translation is a, is a good translation. It's something we can use to, to, to read and make sure that we're understanding Scripture. Wouldn't be necessarily something I would recommend to preach out of or to deeply study. So I would say, you know, use it with another tr translation, either like the ESV or something similar to that, because the words of Scripture are important. And if we're going to be studying to try to figure, do like word studies or digging into some more of the theological implications of what a word, particular word means, we're going to want to have a more formal uh, translation. Uh, for example, like the term firstborn that we talked about there. While the, the NLT does an excellent job with translating what does that particular word mean, it's hard when you're reading just the New Living Translation in English, uh, when you're reading the English translation there, to understand that it came from a single word, such as, and he is before anything was, and he was before anything was created in his uh, supreme overall creation. Uh, it's hard to understand that came from firstborn of all creation, in terms of looking back at the Greek word. So, uh, when we're doing studying, uh, I would recommend to use something like the ESV or something similar or the New American Standard and then as we, and use that in conjunction uh, with the New Living Translation. So, yeah, I was just kind of bringing it to a close. I was really surprised by some of the things I saw as I was studying this text. I've drawn to it more uh, than I thought it might be. And I know some people who, who use it and it's a, it's a good faithful translation, but for, use it in conjunction with a more formal equivalent, like the ESV or something similar to it.
Moving on to the second part here of the podcast, I just want to briefly note that I finished reading The Whole in Our Holiness by Kevin D. Young. And it's an excellent book. It's a challenging book. Uh, not don't want to get into the review of it here. I'm going to be getting to talking about some books here a couple episodes, but this would be one I would I would definitely recommend. And I, uh, I there's actually some passages I'm going considering to go back and to re, to reread, even though I just finished it, but to to go back and to reflect on it some more and engage with it to see how does this flesh out in our life. His subtitle is. Um, filling the gap between gospel passion and the pursuit of godliness. And that's his basic premise is that we oftentimes think that once a person believes in Christ, then our work is done. That's it. And he's saying, no, 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 we should pursue holiness. But holiness is not something we pursue in a sense of law or legalism and try to help us navigate. He tries to help us navigate uh, those those two extremes. So an excellent book, and I'll come back to some more review of that here in a couple episodes. So as we said when I started this episode, uh, this is the last one talking about a specific translation. There may be some others that are out there that are referenced, such as like the Amplified or, or uh, Phillips translation. I have not read these. Um, I don't think I've read anything by Phillips directly. I've seen it cited a lot. And I've heard Amplified um, referenced in some sermons or things used. Ampl the Amplified translation, it, it is, I believe, put out by the Lachlan Foundation, which translated the New American Standard. My issue with the Amplified is it takes uh, interpreting uh, the text and translation to a new level. Uh, there's some passage, at least one passage I know of that I heard a preacher using uh, from Proverbs 31 that inserted a particular meaning which was not found there in the text. And because it, it sort of splits the line between a dynamic equivalent and a paraphrase, uh, I'd be cautious to, to use it. Um, maybe some people are comfortable using it for as a reference, and that, that's fine, but it would not be something I would say, here's a translation of scripture I'd recommend or I would encourage people to use. Phillips, the Phillips translation, uh, I uh, know some authors and people use it, I have not had any experience with it. I don't feel like it's widely used today, so that's why I skipped over that. And Of course, there's a whole other slew of translations that are out there, but these ones that we've covered on the series, I think, are the more prominent ones or the ones that I've had exposure to the most. But just wanted to, to give some brief summaries of these translations, spark people's interest, maybe explain some of the differences between the different translations uh, people can continue in their own study. And to understand as they consider the translations of scripture that they use. So that's the end of, the, of that part. Not quite done with the series yet. I've got two episodes uh, left, uh, Lord willing. Uh, the next one, going to do a brief recap because we've been spending over a half a year on this series of how did we get the Bible and the translations we have today. Just want to briefly recap what are the highlights or the main important points and conclude that. And then the last episode of the series, just want to bring a few things to, to close, talk about a few books that I've read this year or have been impactful for me, and to share those as we get ready to uh, close out. My plan is to close the, to, to finish with that episode here in a few weeks, and then take a break over the holiday season and start back uh, hopefully in January. We'll, we'll see how things go, but that's my plan now. But that's what a little bit about looking ahead and what, what my plan is. I appreciate people listening to the podcast, and if you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to, to leave a review or to, to, give, to give a rating there. 
So thanks for listening to this episode, and until our next one, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.